1: Welcome to the Bunker USA. I'm Dr. Kate Devlin. UFOs have long fascinated us, and if you've paid any attention to the news in the US lately, that fascination has grown. Last week, a US House of Representatives subcommittee held a hearing on UFOs, or as we're calling them now, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. In the hearing, three former military personnel testified to the existence of aliens and that the US government knows all about it. But did we actually get any closer to proving the existence of extraterrestrial beings? And did we learn anything new? Joining me to discuss this is science writer and skeptical investigator Mick West, author of the book Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. Mick, welcome to the bunker.
2: Thank you very much, Kate.
1: Uh, Let's start with the basics. So when we use the term UFO or UAP, we're not necessarily talking about aliens, right?
2: No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, the term UAP was specifically designed to kind of get away from that stigma because UFO kind of acquired that meaning. When people talk about I saw a UFO, they kind of mean I saw an alien spaceship. But a UFO is just an unidentified flying object. And now we have this new term, unidentified anomalous phenomena, which is kind of a catch-all thing. Anything that's kind of strange in the sky or even underwater now is a UAP.
1: And why would... A government invests funding in a program to detect things. So the, the U.S. government has set up the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. What's, what's the purpose of this?
2: Well, the main reason is that sometimes pilots and military pilots will see things in the air that they can't identify. And regardless of what those things actually are, that's a problem, because a pilot should be able to identify everything that they can see in the air, especially if they're in a military area, like an actual war zone. But even if they're just in a training range, if they see something uh, that flies past their plane, perhaps it's just a balloon. But if they can't identify that, that's an issue, and they need to look into how they can do better in that regard.
1: In this hearing, uh, one of the witnesses, who is a former US intelligence official, a retired major, David Grush, he claimed that the US government has in its possession what he said was intact and partially intact alien vehicles. And the US Department of Defense has spent millions on researching these UAPs, but not necessarily this idea of a crash retrieval program. So how has he gone from this? trying to observe what's happening with the phenomena that you can't really explain to aliens. Why jump to something so extraordinary?
2: Well, a lot of people believe that UFOs are aliens. And some of those people are in the US government and in the military. We know there's a wide range of people in any organization and the Pentagon has you know, tens of thousands of people working there. So some of them are going to believe that UFOs are actually aliens. And it seems like that that belief has really took hold uh, amongst a small number of people. And they've kind of got the idea that the US has these crashed alien craft. And this has become something like accepted knowledge to a small group of people. But the problem is, we don't have any actual evidence that this is true. So even though he's come out and claimed this, there's no actual way of us verifying it yet. And that's something that we've kind of uh, have to wait and see what Congress does with it.
1: So I'd love to unpick that a little bit more because your work, you used to be a video game programmer and you've been using those skills to do your own debunking and investigation into these. Can you talk us through that?
2: Sure. Well, a a lot of the evidence that people put forward for uh, UFOs being some kind of alien craft are these videos, especially the ones that came out after the, the 2017 story in the New York Times where two of these videos were released. And at the start, these videos seemed really, really compelling. They seemed to show like strange craft moving in unusual ways. But I, and like a bunch of other people uh, on my website, Metabunk, uh, did some analysis of these videos. And pretty much everyone, uh, when you dig into it in great depth, uh, turns out to either have a, a fairly obvious explanation or has a possible explanation for something like a, a distant plane or a balloon or something like that. So this evidence that seems to strongly show something strange was going on really isn't that compelling when you actually look into it.
1: How would you actually go about investigating those images then? What kind of things do you look for?
2: Well, when you've got a video of a a UFO, you're essentially looking at a a two-dimensional representation. It's just something that's on the screen in front of you, and you've got to try to figure out what does that actually show in the world? What's the 3D thing? Is it something that's close to the camera or is it something that's far away? And so you look at the various things that are on screen. Sometimes they have the angle the camera's pointing at and how that angle changes over time. And you can use that information to figure out what the lines of sight of the camera are. What is the camera looking at? What direction is it looking at? And then you can see like what is a plausible path for something to go across those lines of sight. So you're essentially, you're taking this video and you're translating it from two dimensions to three dimensions. And once you've got it in three dimensions, you can figure out how fast the object is, uh, how big it is and how far away it is. And then you can see is it something that's actually really strange or could it be something more mundane like a distant plane or even a balloon or a bird or something like that and pretty much every time we've looked into it it turns out there's a distinct possibility that these objects are in fact just something ordinary something man-made like a plane
1: and do these tend to be things that people have mistaken or are people actually creating disinformation around this? Are they trying to generate their own supposed videos of these interactions?
2: Well, a few people do make fake videos, and you see them crop up often, especially on sites like TikTok. Uh, but these are usually fairly easy to spot because you know, either they're too good—they show an amazing uh, 3D craft and no one else took a video of it—or uh, there's no there's no provenance, there's no actual history of who took it. It's just some anonymous video, uh, but. The videos we're talking about, these these Navy videos, are actually official videos and they were taken by members of the US Navy and they are genuine in that sense. But what they are essentially are things that the pilots or the person taking the video couldn't actually identify what they were looking at at first. And uh, often what happens is later we figure out what these things actually are. So most of the evidence that we're talking about is actually genuine um, videos of things that people could not identify originally.
1: Grisha's testimony seems to have riled people He claims he's a whistleblower, that he's being persecuted for for speaking out. And he says he's facing career consequences, which he describes as brutal. And then a Pentagon official, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, has criticised this, saying, you know, these are extraordinary claims from him. He's talking about being threatened, uh, physical assault and hints of murder. So how, how seriously are people actually taking Grisha's testimony?
2: Well, I think that aspect of it is very serious. He's been claimed that he has been illegally retaliated against for doing his job. And his claim he claims that his job was to investigate any program in the government that was studying UFOs or UAP. And he went out and he started knocking on doors, and then he got kind of turned away from some places and he started asking more questions. And then he says at this point, he started to get these reprisals. So, we don't know what actually happened. We don't know what doors he knocked on or what the programs were behind that or what type of reprisals he got. But you know, he made a complaint and the inspector general uh, deemed that complaint about the reprisals to be noteworthy. What we haven't seen though is any real assessment of the evidence behind his claims, the evidence of a secret program of crash retrievals and That's something that is hidden behind this wall of secrecy, which is a big part of the problem, is that the United States has this very uh, long history of keeping every single thing possible secret just in case. And so it makes it very easy for stories to grow uh, because we can never go in there and check them.
1: A cynic might think that it's quite useful for the defense industry to be subject to stories about unidentified potential threats. So is it a conspiracy to think that the government might like to spin this UAP research to their advantage?
2: Not at all. In fact, it's not really even cynical because it's something we know has actually happened. uh, Back when they were testing certain high altitude planes like the U-2 or the SR-71, these were planes that could fly at 60,000 feet and commercial pilots were actually seeing them flying at 60,000 feet and they didn't know what they were looking at. And so they reported them and it got kind of uh, dismissed as UFOs and the military was fine with that. The military says, yeah, that's that's let's just talk about flying saucers rather than talking about our secret planes. So it could be that some of this is just the military like not clearing things up. Because if they cleared up what was going on, it would point towards some kind of secret test. So it's definitely a possibility.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Has there been a shift at all in this sort of cultural uptake of stories like this? Do we see that change over time?
2: It's something that kind of uh, ebbs and flows over time. If you go back to the start of the UFO craze back in the 1940s and 50s, there was actually quite a lot more talk back then. Uh, And back then, there was actually lots of stories about how the government was about to reveal the truth of UFOs. I think the earliest story of that, that nature probably goes back to Roswell, but there was certainly in the early 1950s, there was a whole series of whistleblowers and official disclosures on things that were supposed to just happen in the next few months, and then nothing happened. And then it went quiet for a while, and then it came back. And this is kind of a, a cycle we see in ufology. There's uh, the, the big new thing, always just around the corner, never actually arrives. So it seems like this is just a repetition of that. We'll see.
1: And does that sort of have parallels in popular culture as well? Because we had this period where we were having lots of films about aliens. We had things like Independence Day. Um, so what feeds what? Are we having the the rumours going on and then the films come out or vice versa?
2: Sure. Uh, Both, I think. It's kind of a feedback loop. Uh, The public gets interested in UFOs, and so people think, oh, well, let's make some documentaries and movies about UFOs. And that kind of feeds back into the public's interest. When the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out, it was reflecting a lot of popular ideas about what UFOs were. But then, of course, it greatly amplified them. And so after Close Encounters came out, people started seeing that type of thing everywhere because they've just seen the movie and now they're looking up in the sky and they're looking for UFOs. So it's kind of a, a an interesting feedback loop that kind of ups and downs and fades away sometimes and then comes back.
1: And I think you mentioned on Twitter recently about uh, the Starlink satellites, that people were mistaking those for some kind of UAP.
2: Yeah, that's a new thing. Uh, it's interesting. There's changes in technology and changes what's in the sky, which create new UFOs. Starlink satellites, uh, they appear in a couple of ways. The, uh, there's these long strings of bright dots that you see go across the, the sky sometimes. and People think that's a UFO. Then most people got used to that and they stopped like reporting those as UFOs. Uh, but then when Starlinks are actually deployed and they're up in the sky, sometimes you can see them very briefly cross a patch of the sky and they're reflecting the sun. And a lot of pilots have been reporting these as UFOs, and you think pilots would know better. But this is something that happens every few weeks. A new pilot will see this uh, this Starlink satellite and report it as a UFO. So new technology brings new challenges in UFO identification.
1: This idea of the government cover up around this—it's got. Much wider reaching consequences. Are we seeing more uptake of conspiracy theories at a time when it's ever easier to generate disinformation?
2: I think, yes, there's a lot more talk about conspiracy theories. I think people have always been kind of conspiracy minded, people didn't trust the government. But now, with the internet uh, being able to spread information and disinformation, misinformation a lot quicker. Uh, these things kind of take hold a lot quicker. And also the change in traditional media has led to kind of individual walled gardens where people can gather and, and talk about things or choose a particular media outlet that they like. And that particular media outlet might be very conspiracy focused. So it's, it's kind of the nature of the information landscape has changed in a way that allows conspiracies to grow a lot more than it could perhaps uh, 20, 30 years ago.
1: In your book, you talk about how you can try and speak to people who believe these kind of conspiracy theories. What kind of tips have you got for talking to people who absolutely believe that these things are true?
2: Well, the first thing to do is to treat people with respect. Uh, The people who believe these things, even if they're very silly and outrageous things, they genuinely believe them and they think that they have a, a solid basis for their belief. So you've got to kind of treat them with respect and then talk to them, try to understand where they're coming from, try to understand what they actually believe, because within any particular theory, even like UFOs, there's a wide range of possibilities. Anything with UFOs, say, from the the government simply covering up that it doesn't know what UFOs are, to the government having crashed alien spaceships, to UFOs being angels and demons, which is something some people believe. So you have to understand exactly what they believe and then just um, gradually uh, build a rapport with them, build mutual understanding, and then you can kind of talk about the issues. A mistake people make is that they kind of leap straight in and they start debunking things straight away and they start attacking the other person's position and even mocking that position. You really have to avoid doing that and try to kind of tread softly until you can get to a position where you can actually discuss it and start discussing the facts.
1: And this includes uh, going home to family dinners, talking to parents who may have different views than you on certain topics. like who knows, vaccinations or uh, things like that. I mean, this when you say respect, this seems like such a, a difficult thing to do at times and yet absolutely crucial.
2: It is difficult, but if you don't treat people with respect, you're not going to be able to have a conversation with them. And, you know, there's the old saying, don't discuss religion or politics you know, around the dinner table. And you know, that's because it leads to arguments. And But you can actually have productive discussions if you respect the other person's position and get them to respect you by explaining yourself clearly without, uh, without pointing fingers. And then you can kind of just talk gently about the subject and come to some kind of mutual understanding very gradually. The problem is people start butting heads straight away. And then once those heads are butted, it's difficult to unbut them.
1: So now that we've had time to reflect on the hearing, what are the key things that have left you scratching your head?
2: Well, I think there's two things. One is the extraordinary nature of the claims—the idea that we have these crashed alien craft, and that we've recovered even bodies, and that people have been threatened, perhaps even killed, uh, by by either aliens or by the government. These are extraordinary claims. Uh, and then the other thing that kind of struck me is the the lack of evidence. You know, the hearings didn't actually give us anything new. The two pilots who spoke just told the exact same stories that they've been telling literally for years. And David Gresh himself didn't really give any more information than he gave in his TV interview a few weeks earlier. So I think uh, there's extraordinary claims and an extraordinary lack of evidence.
1: Where do you think the US government is going to go next with this? So what happens after these hearings?
2: I think they have to investigate these claims. These are very serious and significant claims made by uh, Fairly serious people. David Grush has a high security clearance. So they need to figure out what's actually going on. Is there any substance at all to his claims? You know, Maybe there is some kind of secret program to do something that he uh, he discovered that perhaps is illegal. And there are perhaps shady dealings going on between the the Pentagon and the defense industry. So there might be something there. I very much doubt that it's aliens. But I think it's certainly something that they need to investigate. I also think they need to think about raising the veil of secrecy to some degree, because the fact that there's so much secrecy allows these stories to fester in the minds of the public. And the government probably could clear up a lot of these things. They probably could release their analysis of a lot of these videos, and it will probably end up being very similar to my analysis. And that would, I think, kind of like set people's minds at rest. And uh, it's certainly something they should consider doing, but they need to clear it up, basically.
1: And this was something that recently they've been trying to do more of. I think NASA as well was releasing footage that they have uh, for people to be able to see what they were classing as, as UFOs, is that right?
2: Uh, The footage that was was released at the NASA uh, conference a while back was actually from the Arrow group, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And Arrow, I think, are moving slowly in the direction of releasing their their analysis. They're being careful. It's a government agency. They don't want to just rush out. You know, I just have a, a website so I can just pop up a YouTube video whenever a video comes out. But they move a lot slower. But I do anticipate that they will release more analysis, and I think it will actually help uh, the public's understanding of what's actually going on.
1: And I have to ask you, do you think there is extraterrestrial life out there?
2: I do. I do. I think and most people do, and most scientists do, simply because the universe is so big. But the very largeness of the universe, as you know, is, is a hindrance to life actually getting here and even life existing at the same time that we do. But I think there's certainly, there's probably life out there somewhere and there probably has been life in the past and there will be in the future. Uh, We're just a, a small part on the vast cosmic picture of life. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any nearby and it would be great if there was. And I'd love to find aliens, but it doesn't really look like it
1: right now. Mick West, thank you very much for joining me in the bunker.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please support The Bunker on Patreon. For as little as £3 a month, you can get perks like ad-free episodes. I'm Dr. Kate Devlin, and thank you for listening.
2: The Bunker USA was written and presented by Dr. Kate Devlin. The producer was Chris Jones with audio production by me, Simon Williams managing editor is jacob jarvis the group editor is andrew harrison with music by kenny dickinson and artwork by james Parrott, the bunker usa is a podmasters production